So when I lived in Dallas, I, I, uh, I had a friend who was foolish enough to invite me to participate in a golf outing with him. And there was this big outing with a lot of people. And uh, he, he brought along with him three pastors. I, I really think he was trying to get into heaven or something. But he invited, that's a joke. You're supposed to laugh, haha. Um, but he, uh, he, uh, he had uh, brought us along. He had never seen me play. He regretted it, I'm sure, instantly. But one of the other pastors that he brought along was a pastor of a mega church in Dallas, downtown Dallas. And this guy was just a little bit wild. He, I have never been on a golf course with somebody quite like this man. He um, brought with him the exploding golf balls and he snuck them in as often as he could. He brought tees that had been sanded down on the top and thought it was really funny when he handed one of them to me and the ball keeps falling off as I'm trying to, he just thought this was a riot. Well, the thing he probably thought was the funniest, which uh, I'm not sure about. In fact, my wife, after the last service, she was like, that guy was insane. But what he did after we'd finished one of the last holes that we played in, you know, the flag, stack, flag, flag stick that showed you where the hole is on the, the putting green. He took the stick after we had um, putted ourselves and he went over to a part of, of the ground where it was a little bit wet and he just stuck that thing right in the ground. All right. Now, this is a golf tournament. There are a ton of teams. The whole, the whole golf course was filled with people participating in this golf tournament. And we didn't really know what he was doing, but then he made sure that we kind of snuck around and were in the bushes to see what happened. So these guys that were behind us, which we, who we did not know, by the way, who were just participating in this tournament, we watched them chip up and uh, they have a great shot. It lands really close to the flag stick. And then um, they come over and they look down and you can just say, look, what's going on? You know, and they notice that the green is like 25 yards that direction, right? Now, um, needless to say, they did not think it was very funny, um, partially because of the fact that at that point they were winning the tournament that we were playing in. You know, this, this guy, um, as goofy as that was, what he did to them is something the Apostle Paul is going to challenge you and I not to do. He describes it this way. Apostle Paul is going to say, that there are some people who aim at the wrong things. They have the wrong definition of what the target is that God's asked us to experience in our life. And he's going to describe it like a boxer who is swinging at someone else. And they're just like, they're punching the wind. They're just, they're aiming at the wrong target. And he's going to challenge us as we study this passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to see that the Apostle Paul is going to say, some people spend all of their time, all of their energy, focusing in on the wrong target. And as a Christ follower in the Lord Jesus Christ, I am a person, this is what Paul says, that I want to do by all means, whatever it takes to help people who have yet to understand the truth of the gospel understand what it means to know the gospel. That my target, my goal, the flagstick that I want to aim my life towards is to constantly share the gospel with people. And the image that he describes in the text, it's so encouraging to me, is that the image is, I want to be a person who crosses the finish line of life and takes with me as many people as I possibly can. I want to finish well, and I want to take as many people with me in that process as I possibly can. He's going to use words in the text like, like um, I, I want to become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. I, I love that as he challenges this prodigal church, this is so encouraging to me that the Apostle Paul took this 
so seriously that what ended up happening in that pagan city of Corinth, surrounded by pagan altars and worship to unknown God, all this stuff that was happening, sex-saturated society, all this stuff, what ended up happening because of Paul's commitment to the gospel is that there were so many people in that community that became believers in the Lord Jesus Christ that there was a church there. A church that was growing, that was, was going through experiences together. They could call this community together in such a way that he could write a letter to them and he could say to them, I want you to understand how to keep the main thing the main thing. I want to challenge you to understand what it means to keep the right target in front of you. The Apostle Paul could have himself penned the words that Jim Elliott said so beautifully, where he says, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That was, that was Paul's mission. That was what Paul chose to do. And it was for the sake of the message of the gospel. The gospel is at the epicenter of all of this. You remember what the gospel is, that Christ died so that we could understand that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That God demonstrated his own love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So there's the bad news in that, but praise the Lord, there's the message of the good news. And the Apostle Paul wanted to keep that at the focus of everything that he did. And what he's going to say in the text this morning is really challenging to me. Because he's going to say, I cared so much about the community that was around me. I care so much about non-believers that I care about them in such a way that I want to see who they are and I want to see what's valuable to them. I want to serve them in such a way that they understand the truth of the gospel. And he says something really funny in this text. He says, so that some might believe this is really important to me. When I read, read this thing, it's not that everybody that receives the message of the gospel is going to agree and say, wow, you're really smart. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's what I need. But the Apostle Paul understood as his goal, his focus as a person who he, he talks about this language in the text of competing to win a prize, that his all-encompassing focus was that he wanted to share the gospel so that some might be able to understand the message of the gospel. And he was willing to do, in my own language, by all means, whatever it takes in order to advance the message of the gospel to a world that desperately needs it. I'm sad, I think, uh, by something that I think has crept in and is a temptation to the church today, our church, the prodigal church in America. And it's, it's something that, I read a book recently that was very moving to me, very challenging, by um, the author and pastor Francis Chan. The book is called Letters to the Church. Some of you may have read it. And in that book, Francis talks about the gospel and church and challenges in the church in, in America today. But one of the things that he said stuck with me. He said, I want you to imagine for a minute that my daughter was celebrating her birthday. He's got seven kids. And so he's just saying, like, imagine that she had a birthday party coming up. And, and I pulled her aside and I asked her to to, um, you know, if, hey, if we, we had like cake and punch at the house, 
How many of your classmates in your school would come to, to over to the house to have cake and punch? And she's like, well, dad, there'd probably be a handful of my close friends that would show up. And then he's like, what if we went to Dave and Buster's? Do you guys know what Dave and Buster's is? He's like, what if we went to Dave and Buster's and we rented out the whole place? In fact, you know, whatever you want to eat, game cards for everyone. How many kids in your class would join you at that event for your birthday party? And she's like, I think all of them would show up. I think, I don't think anybody would not show up. And he said, he says in the book, can you imagine if I'm sitting there at that party and we're just, we just, I just pull her aside and we see all the kids running around and everything and I, I pull her aside and I say, honey, look at, look at all your friends. They, they love you so much. They came to your party. He said she'd probably elbow him in the side and say, dad, they're not here to celebrate me, but they're just here because they want to be entertained. And his challenge for the church, and this is what's interesting, Paul is not focusing in on inviting people to church. He's not actually focusing in on inviting people to meet Billy Graham or somebody who's smart. He's actually talking about the recognition that the mindset of church sometimes is to come in, be entertained, and to, to enjoy the show. And then um, if the show stops being appealing to us, then do, do you understand that? What's so wrong about that? is that it steals away the glory of the God that we've gathered together to, in the name of, of here. Do you understand? So, so when we talk about things like worship, when we talk about things like, God, what are you saying to us? What are you speaking to us? By the way, if you haven't joined us on our Wednesday prayer meetings, you're missing out. You need to start joining us. It's been meaningful for us to just stand back and to say, Lord, what are you saying to us? Because it's not about our entertainment. It's not about our preferences. And if you haven't noticed, the church in America is going through a migration right now. And part of that is people are going, man, I don't get what I want there. I want, maybe I, I like Dave and Buster's. What's the place that's in Brunswick? They get more. We're trying to find our flavor and our taste and our appetites to be satisfied. And I think that what the Apostle Paul would say to us what the Lord Jesus would say to us is, hey, it's, it's about so much more than your comfort or your preference. There's a responsibility that you have. And so, so if we can say that there's a flagstick over here that we're aiming at, for some of us, it's our comfort, our pleasure, our, uh, you know, survive, get to the end, make sure that we kept ourselves comfortable. Like he's saying, oh no, the, the target is over here. And what's great about Paul, I love this. I, I want to be this person in my life is the Apostle Paul is saying like, I, I do this. This is who I am. I want you to understand this, that this is what God's asking of us. So somebody after the first service pulled me aside and they were like, that was really convicting. Um, so warning, if you don't want to be convicted this morning, probably good to leave right now because this is a challenging passage of scripture. But as we study this, I want to encourage you. I want you to just listen to the entire text that we're going to be studying together. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 27. That you're going to see in this, this these kind of foundational things about the, the local church. That even here at Hope, we want to know God intimately, connect with others, serve the body. We want to bring hope to the world. You see all of this in this section. He says this in verse 19. He says, For, for though I am free from all... I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law. Why? That I might win those under the law. 
To those outside of the law, I became as one outside of the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Why? That I might win those outside of the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run and, and aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body. I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul's speaking here to Christ followers. He says we a lot in this passage. And his encouragement to those of us who know Christ as our Savior is he's saying, it's more important than anything else you're going to spend your life on. That this ought to be the focus of how you invest your time, your treasure, your talents. This is what it means to be a Christ follower. And he uses this athletic imagery. And it's kind of cool that, that in Corinth at that time, there was these games that had happened. Kind of like the Olympic games that, that would have had all kinds of events like wrestling and boxing and, and chariot races. And the Colosseum that they've excavated there is incredible. It would have just been this, this massive show of human strength and prowess and training and it's all happening. We don't know if Paul attended. Um, we don't know if it was happening while he wrote these things. But what we know is everybody in Corinth knew about these games. And so as Paul speaks to what is familiar to them in language that they understood at the epicenter of this church, he's saying it's all about the gospel. It's about the good news. It's about the message of hope. And he uses this wind language that's troubling for some of us because we don't often think of spiritual things in terms of winning. But I, I want you to understand the way that Paul is saying this is he's saying, I want my life to matter. I, I want to do something that's really important. I, I want to I understand what it means to. And if you are taking notes this morning, the first point this morning is to redefine the win. I love this picture of these two crossing the finish line together. I think if you could ask the Apostle Paul what his goal was as he continued to progress in his life. Now remember, at one time, he was not a believer. That's like all of us. He actually was a Jewish man, a leader in the, in the Jewish synagogue that God confronted in such a way that through a radical conversion, he was able to be born again to see his life through now the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was a person who was not ashamed to tell his story. Now, the image that I get with him is he's like, I want to finish strong. I want to glorify the Lord with my life. I want to cross the finish line. And by the way, I want to take as many people with me on that, in that process as I possibly can. I don't want to just celebrate my finishing well, but I want to be a person who gets others to cross the finish line with me. It's fascinating. If you look with me specifically, back in verse 19, it says, for though I am free from all. Now, this is talking about his religious freedom that he had through the gospel of Christ. I have chosen, I've deliberately made myself a servant of all. And the reason why I've done that is so that I might win some of them or more of them. I love that clarity that Paul's taking this personally. He's like, yeah, I want this. Like, this is too important not to do. In verse 22, in the second portion of it, it says, I have become all things to all people 
that by all means, you think he's trying to get us to get an idea that he means everybody, all things, that all people, that by all means, I might save some. He's not bad at math here. He's saying, I wanna, I wanna be all in. I wanna do everything I can in my control. Why? I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. The share with them in its blessings is a very important point. When we share the gospel with others, it's important for us to understand that it has eternal implications. It has eternal implications for them, that they can experience the hope that we hold dear. Uh, it has personal implications. Paul is saying, I want to share the gospel that has been meaningful in my life. We also recognize that it has eternal implications for us. I love the way that he says this in verse 24. He says, do you not know that in a race, all of the runners run? He's saying there's more people who compete than actually get the prize. So run so that you may obtain it. Every, and I add here, winning athlete exercises self-control in all things. Every winning athlete competes by the rules. Every winning athlete, requi it's requiring them to understand what they have to sacrifice. Why? They do it to receive a perishable wreath. You've seen the pictures that in the ancient times, there would this be this, this ring of honor that's placed on the person who's competed and won. And it was, it was beautiful. It was powerful. It, was, it meant that they were exalted in their community. He's, he's talking about a different kind of crown here. He says, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but you and I do this this is why we do this. This is why we share the gospel. This is why we pursue others. This is why we choose to become servants. It's not because we just have to, but it's because we want to glorify the Lord that's worth it. We want to share with other people our own story. We want to help them to understand the share that they have in the blessings of eternity. That kind of passion helped to birth a church in Corinth. That kind of passion motivated and shared, uh, started other churches across the ancient world because Paul understood that it wasn't about him. It wasn't about his comfort. It was about the same spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ that saw himself as a servant to seek and to save that which was lost. There's eternal implications, obviously, for non-believers. There's also eternal implications for believers. I want to remind you of this. Those of you who are taking notes, these are worth jotting down. The as Christ followers, we anticipate, well done, good and faithful servant, if we're faithful. What we also recognize is that in 2 Timothy 4.8, it describes the crown of righteousness. Here, Paul's talking about that same crown in this context. Revelation 2.10 talks about the crown of life. 1 Peter 5.4 talks about a crown of glory that does not fade away. Philippians 3.4 a, the prize of the upward call of Christ. The, this, this internal implication is beautiful and it's something that motivated the Apostle Paul. You know what I like about Paul is that he took things personally. Like he, he didn't just say, hey church, you guys need to get better at this. But, but even in his language, did you notice what he said? That I might win, that I might save some I think that that's important for us to recognize that you and I take this personally and the idea is that you and I get to be guides. We get to help them to understand what the finish line looks like. We get to be a servant to all. And let me challenge you in this area. We are all missionaries. I don't know how good of missionaries we are, 
But you and I are all given the mission. Do you remember when Jesus taught us to be disciples? When he first called his disciples, he said, come, follow me, and I will make you what? Rich, uh, come follow me, I will make you happy. Come follow me, I will make you comfortable. Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It's very interesting, because at that point when he said that, uh, we, we don't believe that they were really disciples of Christ yet. They, they aren't even necessarily believers at this point. In fact, later on, there'd be times where they're asking questions about who Jesus was. And it didn't, it wasn't until later after Jesus had been resurrected from the dead that some of them understood what this really meant. But I want to remind you, this is even for non-believers. He's saying, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, now let's, let's also be honest about this. If we, can, if we can take that metaphor of fishermen, I think that it's, I'm okay with saying that we live, I thought Andy's slide was interesting, in like a dark time. We live in a difficult time. In fact, the image, I had a friend who called me up. It was such a cool thing where he just said, hey, I've been praying for you. And he just shared this image uh, with me this last week. And it really meant a lot to me. He was just saying like the church right now, we all feel he wasn't talking about Hope Church in particular. He was just saying about the church, the church in America. He said, it, it feels like we are in a, in a ship that's in a sea that is a really rough sea right now. Like we're, we're being bounced around. We don't know what next month's going to look like. If you read the news, you start to go like, wow, what's happening? And, and, and we just feel what, what it feels like to be tossed in the storm. And he said, Sean, you know, you know what you don't do when you're in a big storm and you're on a ship and you're in the sea is that you don't try to stop the engines and float it out. You don't put the anchor down and try to weather the storm in the middle of the sea. Actually, what you do is you, you, you keep moving, right? You keep, you keep going. And I think that that's what God's asked of us. And I'm going to mix metaphors for a second. And I'm going to say, yeah, and I think he's asked us to throw the trolling lines out while we're at it, you know? He's asked us to keep fishing. He's asked us to keep the mission in front of us, to keep sharing the gospel, to not neglect that as we're trying to survive the storm that is 2021 and 2022 and 2023. We have no idea what the storms are going to be like ahead. But what he's asked us to do is to keep this right in front of us, to by all means, to, I love this, this phrase, to relentlessly pursue, relentlessly pursue. Um, now, th that idea of relentless pursuit is something that Paul modeled in his life. He's going to pursue Jews and Gentiles. He's going to pursue people who are weak. And he's, he's just going to say, I'm going to pursue them with everything that I have. I love this, this next little picture. This is a red squirrel. Don't be intimidated by how cute he is. Doesn't he look adorable, this little guy? So some of you are like, oh yeah, I want to just hold him, right? Um, don't be confused. In Fargo, North Dakota, this, uh, this story came out this last week. I thought this was so funny. Um, Bill Fisher, you might have seen this. Bill Fisher owns a Chevy Avalanche and um, there's a walnut tree near his home. And uh, he went away for four days. And um, he said that this is kind of a tradition with the little cute little red squirrels in his neighborhood that they always find his truck wherever he parks it. And um, he said that after four days, he had some 350 pounds of walnuts that were tucked into his, into his pickup truck, his, his Chevy Avalanche. He's like, we parked other cars near the tree. He found the Avalanche still. And uh, the buckets are, it's a, it's a hilarious story. They talk about all the things they tried to do to, to, to stop this from happening. But I, I want you to catch this. What I notice from the Apostle Paul 
is that there's nothing that's going to get in the way. Like literally, we'll, we'll read this later on, but literally when he's chained together to people who are trying to stop him from sharing the gospel, you know what he does, right? He literally shares the gospel with the people who he's chained to that are trying to tell him to shut up, right? He just won't do it. He's, I, I like that word tenacious. It's relentless. It's um, it, is, it is constant pursuit, and I think it's appropriate for us to say you and I should be intentional and relentless in our pursuit of the lost. Uh, I think that this begins, Paul taught me something this week when I studied this, that it pursues by seeing other people clearly. Look at the text with me again in verse 20. It says, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. Again, now he's talking about Gentiles. To those outside of the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Why? That I might win those outside of the law. Verse 22, to the weak I became weak, so that I might win the weak. It's very interesting. The Greek word here, this weak one, is to be sick, to need a cure. The Apostle Paul understood that he was surrounded by people, uh, some of which were like him at other stages of his life, a devout religious Jewish man, uh, a person who was seeking the Lord and the Lord revealed himself to him. Um, that there were times in his life where he was sick and needed a cure. Like Paul uses this language and here he's saying to them, that, that, that I observed what those people around me needed and then I just tried my best to be that for them. I think that the step that is essential here is that he listened, he observed, he understood what they value, what they care about. He understood what they prioritize. And so it's that same thing that the Lord Jesus, when he talks about the current events of a tower that had fallen in his day, when he it weaves it into his preaching, like that he, he's recognizing that they live in a time and place where they're suffering. And he wanted to communicate the gospel into that situation. The Apostle Paul, when he walks into a pagan place that's full of all of these altars to gods that are no gods at all, and then he sees one that says to the unknown God, you remember he says, I know that God. And you understand, it's just personal. I know him personally. Let me share this with you. I want to be winsome about how I season my conversation with salt so that people hear the message of the gospel. And it begins by seeing them clearly. I don't know if you're like the person who sees on the outside of a store or restaurant this thing that says, no shirt, no suit, shoes, no service. Uh, and then you go right on in with your bare feet. That sounds silly, right? We wouldn't do that. And what we recognize is in our culture, there's just ways that we communicate with one another what's valuable to us. And often it takes time. Often it takes remembering a person's name, caring about them, repeating our, the time of relationship with them. And it's so much more than just, I invited them to church or I invited them to this rally or this, I gave them a gospel track. I think those are valuable. Don't misunderstand that. But I want to remind you that really what the Apostle Paul is saying is, I wanted to make sure that I understood where they were, why, so that I could be willing to share with them the hope that I hold dear. I wanted to be able to share them my story of transformation. I want to share with them what it means to, to be a person who went from death to life that understood what it means to be born again. So we adapt, and this is so good, we adapt so that we can, so that they can be adopted. 
We adapt so that they can understand, like you and I do, those of us who are believers, that he's our heavenly father, that we are sons and daughters of the king. We adapt so that they can know him personally. Paul said it like this, so that I might save some. 22b, it's at the second part of this, it says, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. He was all in. He pursued them. He understood that it came at a cost. You guys remember the story of Jonah. I'm fascinated by this. That Jonah was a prophet given a message of transformation to a group of people he didn't like very much. And there's this weird scenario in the last chapter of the book of Jonah where Jonah uh, was in a hot place. There's this, this plant that grows up. The shade grows up over him. And um, and, and there's this group of people that through his sharing this message of repentance, God saves. And uh, Jonah's ticked off about it. He's grumbling. He's whining about it. And uh, there's this worm that eats his, his shade away. And he's just sitting there moping and he's frustrated with God. And, and, and the image just stands out to me that he misunderstood what it meant to be a person who's willing to sacrifice everything for the sake of the gospel. That, that the message of hope was one that comes at a cost. And instead, God kind of poked him in the side a little bit and just reminded him that uh, his comfort is less important than God's grace and his compassion and what he wants to do. So, so when, when the famous missionary, Jim Elliott, says, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose, like, I think the Apostle Paul could append those same words. It was the story. It was the intentionality of pursuing others and doing it by all means. It's willingly set aside, setting aside your own desires and your own preferences in order to put yourself in the context of those who don't know him. I think that that, that that idea is one that I think for most of us, like we said, we like the idea of missionaries. Uh, we like the idea of, of other people being willing to experience the call of God in their life, we might, we might support them through that. But to be reminded of the fact that God has asked you and I, even those of you who are young in your faith, to be missionaries, that he's asked you to be a part of the mission that he's called you to do in a world that desperately needs it. Let's, let's accept you have access to people that I never will. You have relationships with the people that I, I'm, I'm praying right now, as I prayed for you this morning, God would be bringing names of people, faces of people, that, that there'd be some that the Lord is saying to you, that's the person I really want you to talk to this week. That's the person I want you to call today because of the fact that we've said it's too important not to do. It's too essential. And I think for some of us, we're, we're kind of waiting for the moment. You know, I shared with you about my brother, Chad, who was a missionary in Turkey. And um, Chad had that moment where he was walking across Ankara University and there was a professor who came up to him and pulled him into this room and Chad didn't know what was going on and the guy sat him down in front of this man, Bo, um, who was a Turkish man who ha was asking this professor who was, was not a believer about Christ. And, and the professor saw my brother, could tell that he was a Westerner and was like, yeah, you're, you're probably able to answer questions about Christ. Well, my brother was there as a missionary in Turkey at the time. And, and so it was like a well, duh moment, right? Well, of course I'm gonna share the gospel with him. I think for some of us, there's some things that hinder our motivation. One of them is we're waiting for a well-duh moment. And I think that's a little different than the expectancy thing that Paul challenges us to pray, that we make the most of every opportunity. He's looking for it. 
He's not just out and about. So yeah, Chad was there and he was at the right place, right time. I think God's putting us in the right place and right time for coworkers, family members, neighbors, um, our grandkids, people who we, 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 that are precious to us. I think we, we may wait for the right moment. And unfortunately, what scares me is that I think we might be like the boxer who's kind of punching in the wind, that we're missing out on the opportunity that God's given us. So the, the relentless pursuit is what he's asking of us, that he's asking us to pursue people that aren't always like us, that don't always agree with us. And they ought to see in us uh, a love for one another that's not just natural, but it should be something that's supernatural. That this is not my comfort, it's compassion for those who don't yet know the gospel. It's not what I'm consuming, it's what I can give, it's to be a servant. It's, it's the recognition that, that uh, I'm, I'm transitioning from this life to the next and I want to get to that finish line and I want to take as many people with me as I possibly can. Last point this morning is to avoid disqualification. There are a lot of things in a race that can get you disqualified. Uh, we live in the land of PEDs and um, people missing their lane and all kinds of things. We saw this in the Olympics again this year, that there's things that you can do that can uh, make you miss out on standing on the podium to be successful. Paul says this in verse 26. He says, so, do, so I do not run aimlessly. And I'm not just living life caught in the wind, but... I do not box as one who's beating the air, but I discipline myself and I keep it, my body under control, lest after preaching to others, lest, lest having the boldness to tell other people about my message of the gospel, that I disqualify myself, that I don't live the way that I say that other people ought to live. Brothers and sisters, I think that that's what people see. They're watching our lifestyle. They're watching our attitudes. They're watching how we live our lives. And they want to see the gospel lived out in our lives without question. I think it's important for us to accept that we don't win when we have the wrong destination. Um, I think it's important for us to accept that, that we have a mission that God's given us and he's asked us to be all in for that. I also think it's important to accept that we don't win if we don't compete. Can you imagine in the Olympics, all of the athletes that have trained for what seems like a majority of their lives to physically prepare their bodies for this moment and the gun goes off and one of them just stays in the blocks. They never even get out of there. They don't, take, they don't do anything. That would be foolish. We know that there's no chance they're gonna win if that's what they do. And I think that for some of us, we don't win if we don't compete. With somebody who came up and challenged me after the first service, I thought this was great. They're like, hey, we, we, wanna, we, we wanna get into taking seriously, living this out in our lives. And, and my challenge back was like, let's, let's do it. Let's invite people to come. Let's, let's not just talk about evangelism, but let's take the comment at the end of the conversation and let's, let's walk out together and experience what it means to share the gospel together. Uh, that, that, that's the challenge. It's not, I think, just how do we do this? I think for some of us, we've spent lives hearing sermons about it, but I think the question is, are we willing to get moving, to give it a try, to pursue intentionally? And I'm gonna add into that list to be rejected. He didn't say everybody accepts it. And I think for some of us, we get rejected the first time or the second time or the third time that we tried to share the gospel. There were negative repercussions for us. And we use that as an example, a reason for us to give up. And I don't see that in the text. I think Paul understood, not everybody's gonna accept it, but it's worth it. 
And remember, there was a church worth of people left behind because he pursued the gospel so diligently. I think it's important to accept as well, we don't win if we don't discipline ourselves. If we don't apply these truths to our own lives, if we want to put burdens on other people's backs that we're not willing to bear, I think unfortunately what we're just doing is we're sharing a message of someone else's hope, but we're not sharing a message of our hope. So when he says, be prepared in season and out of season to give an answer for the hope that you hold dear, that's your responsibility as a Christ follower. That, that's your privilege. That's your, your, um, your, your gift that the Lord's given us to represent him. And I don't know what it is that you've got in your life that, that may hinder that or maybe a distraction, maybe something that has kept you from doing that. But I just want to challenge you to consider what that looks like. What is it that you're, um, that God's asking you to give up? Um, back to the Jim Elliott quote, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I think it's important to recognize that, that Paul understood that his whole, everything about him needed to be committed to this mission. It wasn't about his preference, it was about God's glory wasn't about his cleverness. It was about the message of the gospel that stands alone, that some will receive it. And, and our job is to be somebody who deliberately, with the pursuit of a, a Olympic athlete that wants to win the prize at the end, with everything that he or she has, that we all in in pursuit of the message of the gospel. So, so I want to challenge you. I'm going to ask you to, to listen to the, the voice of the Lord in your life this morning. Like, is there a name that comes to mind? Is there one of your children, one of your grandchildren? Is it your parents? Is it a coworker? Is it your boss? Is it somebody who you love? Is it somebody that challenges you? Uh, maybe it's a difficult neighbor. I don't know who the story is for you in your life, but I want to challenge you to understand that um, that's the mission that God's given us. That's the, the target that he's asked for us to be about. It's not just to attend. It's not just to uh, be entertained, but instead it's for us to move away from the cruise ship to the battleship and to accept that the Lord has asked us to be people who understand and pursue what matters to him, and that is lost people matter to our God. Would you join me in prayer and asking that the Lord would speak to us um, specifically and individually? Lord, we need you. Um, Lord, I ask that this morning you would draw to our minds those people who are precious to us, that are precious to you that we need to pursue. I pray that you would remove any of those things that we use as justification to um, hide from uh, communicating your loving kindness to a world around us. I pray that we would understand what it means to say, by all means, I will do this for the sake of your kingdom. Uh, Father God, today we need that. Um, we, we long for that. We believe that we live in a world that longs for that. And, and I don't think um, that the world that's around us needs entertained or distracted anymore. We, we think that's covered um, today in the world that we live in. Uh, but instead, Lord, I believe that they need to encounter the one true God, the one who, as we close this service out, that we give worship and honor to, that we praise uh, your name. We sing to you because we believe that you're worthy of it. And so I ask, Lord, that you would, you would spur us on, that you'd allow us to search our hearts, to question 
what is it that we're allowing to get in the way of the most important thing that you've asked for us to do? I thank you for the model of this imperfect man, an ancient man, but was a man who desired to finish well. I thank you for that model that we've had at Hope Church, that we've had men and women who've gone before us, some even who you've taken home in the last few weeks that had as a part of their conviction, their passion, the desire to represent your loving kindness well. It's our turn now. It's our privilege. It's our responsibility. Lord, would you would you churn inside of us the thing that would turn into um, the ability to say, I'm all in, I'm, I, I, by all means, whatever it takes, would you do that inside of us? We love you. Lord, I thank you for those who loved me enough to represent your loving kindness to me in my own life. Um, and I pray that you would allow us to see our part in that privilege. We need you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.